Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, we'll discuss the top stories of the week with Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger on the program. Also, the COVID-19 pandemic has been quoted to be the most asymmetrical recession in Canadian history. We'll explain. And is rapid testing the saving grace to turning the corner on COVID-19? We'll try to answer that as well. It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. I want to focus on what's happening with the economic development recovery uh, with the pandemic that's been going on for the last little while, because let's face it, at some point, you know, we want to get back on our feet uh, economically, but at the same time, we can't just wait until the pandemic is declared over. And uh, so yesterday... At their virtual council meeting, a Hamilton City Council got an information update uh, from the Director of Economic Development, uh, Norm Schlehans. Uh, he says his action plan for the next five years is likely to focus on recovery for businesses most severely impacted by this pandemic. It's going to help us quantify the economic impacts, uh, and uh, it's going to help you know guide uh, some of the development and programs uh, and some of our initiatives to support the business community as well, um, and as well as uncovering some of the, the local labor force trends and, and opportunities. So. Uh, the more information we know, the better we can shape our, our program. So how does City Council approach this, and uh, what kind of feedback are they getting from a lot of these small businesses? Uh, to that end, we're pleased to welcome back to the program Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger, who joins us on the Bill Keller Show. Mr. Mayor, thank you for the time. Great to have you with us again today. Uh, good morning, Bill, and uh, Happy New Year. Uh, happy thank Lincoln Alexander Day, too. And that, and that as well. We're going to be acknowledging that a little, in a little while at our general issues uh, committee meeting. But yeah, happy uh, Lincoln Alexander Day and, and happy day in the United States, certainly from my perspective. Certainly uh, is. I feel a little bit lighter today, uh, you know, as a result of the inauguration yesterday. Well, because we've talked about this, and you figure, well, it's come on, it's American politics. But, you know, when some of the policies that the Trump administration were enacted, well, we felt it at a local level uh, in Hamilton, London, all over the province, like, like the steel industry and some of the other things. Yep. So uh, it looks like a brighter day, and uh, that's that's good news. And also heartening to know that uh, the first official call that uh, President Biden's going to make is, as has been the tradition, uh, to Canada, to Prime Minister Trudeau. And uh, we'll be interested to see. I'd like to be a fly on the wall for that discussion. Let's Absolutely. let's talk, Mr. Mayor, can we, about, uh, about the meeting you had yesterday and about economic development. I know that's something that a lot of people uh, during the pandemic may have kind of put aside. Uh, you, you can't wait until this is over uh, to address some of the economic issues, and you've got to still develop a plan, don't you? Absolutely, and, uh, you know, I think our, our team has, has had a consistent plan. They were actually reporting on the results of the, the five-year plan previous to that and the successes that uh, came out of that, and there were a number of them, including, uh, you know, annualized uh, development uh, Development numbers, uh, you know, bordering over and above a billion dollars, even in this year. So in a, in a pandemic year, we have actually fared exceptionally well on the commercial industrial tax base growth uh, and employment opportunity growth, uh, both, uh, you know, in and around the airport employment growth district at the McMaster Innovation Park and potentially, uh, you know, down on the waterfront in terms of the industry there. So there's there's growing opportunity. We can't uh, take our, our foot off the gas pedal on, on continuing to strive and look for new oper- new business opportunities to come to the city of Hamilton. At the same time, we also have to recognize that there are many sectors in our community that have been negatively impacted, significantly impacted, both in the retail side as well as on the entertainment side. Uh, in the uh, in the hospitality side, all of those all of those areas are going to need additional attention, both from the city, but also from federal and provincial governments in terms of economic stimulus once we get past this pandemic, uh, once we have, you know, sufficient amount of people in our community inoculated and vaccinated, and we can get back to some sense of normalcy, we're, we're going to continue to have to want to 
grow our, our you know, commercial industrial sectors, our entertainment sector, uh, the hospitality sector, the arts and cultural sector. All of them are still getting plans developed, and all of them are going to be very, very key and important to our future growth and development. Get back to economics 101. I guess I guess that most people, are taxpayers anyway, Mr. Mayor, are aware of the fact that uh, communities are, are looking to gain uh, as much as they can from uh, from uh, business taxes, uh, from commercial pa- taxes, and things of that nature, uh, because that lessens the impact on residential taxes, of course. And mm-hmm. we've all gone through some some rough times over the last few years with uh, with factory closings and businesses. Uh, Hamilton seemed to be bucking the trend, though. When I talked to you and to North Schlehan from Economic Development a few months ago, you guys were in acquisition mode, acquiring properties and, and basically marketing these properties. Of course, things have not gotten a whole lot better economically. Uh, what is the status of that? It looks as if you're well-placed uh, for when things start to pick up again, but is there any action in the meantime? Well, we are we are exceptionally well-placed, just to cover that off. I mean, the, uh, the Conference Board of Canada made an assessment uh, a few years ago that Hamilton had the most diverse uh, economy of any municipality in the country, and that as, as a result of, you know, many years of decline and, and, a, and appreciation and understanding that we had to diversify our economy away from singularly being involved in just manufacturing, but looking at agribusiness and looking at entertainment and arts and culture, uh, innovation in terms of uh, McMaster Innovation Park and all the great uh, research that's happening there. So, so we're, we're well positioned to, uh, to, can, you know, come out of the pandemic and hit the ground running uh, as a result of that diversification. And uh, as as we have uh, made a point of acquiring properties and doing some land banking to ensure that we, we not only uh, continue to attract uh, new opportunities to come here, but we have a place to put them. And so uh, that is that is the other, you know, key ingredient that we need to kind of turn our mind to. And, then, you know, in some sense, we've been short on commercial commercial space. Uh, commercial employment space, and we've we've actually added to that uh, to that envelope, and continue to look for additional opportunities where we can continue to grow employment-based opportunities. And you know, if we're going to be a, a, a an independent, uh, non-bedroom community of Toronto, we need to have a strong employment-based uh, opportunity for our citizens because jobs are the key to future prosperity, and jobs are the key to ensuring that everyone has a, a rightful place in our economy. And that and that. That applies to you know the uh, kind of the, the the low level jobs all the way to the high end jobs. Uh, you know you need the full range of opportunity, and uh, and hopefully with the uh, the help of provincial and federal governments, given the experience that we've just seen through the pandemic, but we'll also realize that we have to look after our marginalized and uh, individuals in our community as well. So. The, the full spectrum needs to be uh, looked at, considered, and supported, and uh, that's certainly the position that we're in right now. What are you hearing from small businesses? Hamilton has a, a plethora of uh, business improvement areas, BIAs, that I know, and, and there is a subcommittee set up, and a couple of councillors sit on that. I understand that, but mm-hmm. uh, especially with lockdown situations as we're in right now, it's awfully tough, I'm, I'm sure, for these businesses uh, to survive, let alone thrive in situations like that. Now, I know there's federal and provincial programming in place and some funding for those businesses, uh, but what role is the city playing in that? Well, we've uh, we've offered up, uh, Bill, over and above what uh, what the province just recently announced, which is a twenty thousand dollar grant for a small business. So, so it's a grant, not a loan, which is uh, extremely helpful. Uh, but we've offered up, uh, you know, a, a freeze on uh, on uh, on penalties and interest uh, for delayed tax payments. Uh, we've uh, we've offered up additional dollars for BIAs to help promote their their businesses uh, throughout the, the rest of the balance of this year. 
uh, we've got uh, we've got a, a hub set up with the uh, the Chamber of Commerce to actually promote uh, the businesses to go into a more of an online presence if they can be, and there are resources actually put in place to help them do that. So we, we've we've introduced a number of measures in partnership with uh, the with the Chamber of Commerce, the city, and in in other areas with the province and the federal governments to provide the the kinds of supports that these small businesses are going to need if they're going to survive. Sadly, uh, you know, I think some are not going to survive. I think the uh, you know the hill is too the hill is too high for some businesses, unfortunately, or they haven't been able to convert into the online presence that. Uh, that I think is so, so necessary now, given the click economy that is, you know, thriving and certainly has been accelerated as a result of this pandemic. So people like the con- convenience of sitting in front of their laptop, uh, you know, making a selection of what they want to order and buy and uh, making that click. And uh, two days later, it's at the front door. Uh, you know, that kind of convenience is hard to compete against. And, and hence, we've been able to attract uh, an Amazon distribution center up at the airport that uh, that actually helps support that part of the retail sector that's that seems to be flourishing, you know, faster than uh, than anything else. I, I would say there's a downside to that, which is uh, it, it minimizes the requirement for retail space. It, it potentially minimizes the employment opportunities in that re- retail space. So we have to turn our mind to what the next employment opportunity is, and is it all in distribution centers? Is there more areas that we can divert people from retail into uh, other other categories of employment? That's going to be a key issue as we go forward, because obviously retail is uh, getting hit particularly hard uh, for both pandemic and the click economy. And so uh, that's going to be an area of concern that we're going to put our minds to very significantly. Uh, I'm just going to note here, for a lot of requests every time. Oh, the mayor's on. Ask him this. Ask him. Uh, somebody wanted to talk about the anti-mask protesters in front of the city hall. I'm not going to even mention that. I don't get to put any wind in their sails. Uh, you know, if anybody doesn't get the message about masking and everything else by this point, uh, you know, well, you suffer the consequences, as these people did. But I do want to ask you about the numbers, Mr. Mayor, uh, because mm-hmm. all the stuff we're talking about, the economy, of course, is predicated on the fact that we're going to make some progress with the numbers in COVID. It's been a struggle for Hamilton, and I know you weren't happy with the numbers uh, that you've seen over the last couple of weeks. As, as you have your discussions on a daily basis with Dr. Richardson and, uh, and with Paul Johnson, are you encouraged by what's happening since the lockdown went in place? Well, we're, we're seeing some improvement, but it's not where it, where it needs to be. So, uh, you know, we uh, we continue to message people that <clears throat> two things. First of all, when, when the vaccine is available to you, take it. It's safe. There is so much misinformation out there about this vaccine. You know, the social media, uh, you know, conspiracy theorists are, are out in full force, uh, you know, making all kinds of claims around the, the efficacy, the, the development of the vaccine. I think people need to know that this vaccine has been tested uh, by thousands of people and has actually been administered to millions of people worldwide with minimal, if, if uh, you know, um, you know, the, the usual impact that you would expect, which is what you get from a flu shot, some pain in your shoulder, and you might feel a little off for the balance of the day as the vaccine takes its uh, effect, and then everything is good. So don't don't listen to the conspiracy theorists. Go to good sources. There's good information on the Hamilton website. There's good information on the uh, the province of Ontario website in terms of the vaccine and all the things that it does as opposed to what it doesn't do. And it does not mess with your DNA. Uh, it, it does not have a microchip in it to track you, uh, you know, as, a, as you move around our community. It is intended to inoculate you against this virus, and it is 80% effective on the first shot. 
so I'm pleased that we've been able to get the long-term care uh, homes and staff and residents done and retirement residences actually. And then unfortunately we, you know, we've, we've been, uh, you know, put in a kind of a neutral position as a result of these supply issues, which, you know, is frustrating, uh, but we have to get through. And I just want to encourage everyone to continue to follow the health uh, guidelines that we're, we're putting out there. Continue to wear that mask, continue to physically separate, continue to stay within your own household. And that is the, the really the key issue. That's the most difficult one, but is the key issue in terms of how to prevent this spread. Far too many people, and, you know, I would say the vast majority of our population is doing the right thing, 70 or 80%, but that 20% is not, and they're gathering inappropriately, and that gathering then spreads the virus, and then that gets taken into the hospitals, gets taken into our long-term care facilities, gets taken back to work, and there, there, you, get, there you have that spread that uh, is so critically important that we need to uh, curb. So I would say, people, uh, keep doing what you've been doing. Uh, those that aren't doing it, time to get with the program. Uh, we, can, we can curb this spread of this virus. Uh, we can have a, a dramatic impact on it. And, and until we do, we're going to be in this kind of a lockdown situation because rampant spread is not something that anyone would want to see because it has got some ugly, ugly uh, potential scenarios wrapped around it that not only leads to death, but bad outcomes in the hospitals, people dying from other causes because our hospitals are overrun. I mean, there's just so much that we need to protect against that, uh, that people need to appreciate and understand. So I would say we got to keep fighting this. Uh, even if you've been vaccinated, you need to keep fighting this. You need to keep masking up. You need to prevent the spread because we're not sure yet whether this is a, a, an inoculation that prevents spread. It might protect you from getting it. Uh, as a disease that's harmful to you, but you may still be a carrier of it. So all of those factors are, are, are inherently part of this. It's complicated, it's frustrating, it's difficult, but we have to fight through it. We can't give up. I, I've got about a minute left here, and I, I, I get rushed here, but I, I do want to spend just a second here. Uh, you mentioned the airport right now, and what a key part that mm-hmm. is in Hamilton's economic development. You were on city council back in the 1990s, and, and for people that don't have the historical perspective, uh, in those days, Hamilton Airport was a, well, not very active money pit for the city. It was costing them, well, I think it was 500000 bucks a year or something like that. Uh, you yep. were one of the people on council that supported going to a private-public partnership uh, with a group yep. called Tradeport, and that was probably mm-hmm. one of the most smartest decisions that council has made in the last. 40 or 50 years. Uh, the guy that spearheaded that new initiative, Tony Battaglia, passed away this week. Uh, and I just wanted to get a quick comment. I know that you knew Tony quite well. Uh, I did. Tony and I went to school together at Churchill. Uh, so we were, uh, you know, the same age and, you know, graduating class of 71 or 72, if I get my dates uh, correctly. And, and he went on to be a, a great developer and a visionary on the airport. Uh, he, he really saw the potential of uh, what the airport could be, as we did uh, back in the day when we decided that uh, running it by committee of council was probably not the best way to promote and grow an airport that needed specific knowledge and talent of the airline airline and, and cargo and passenger industries. And so Tony had the vision to pull a team together to bid, bid on this, and they were successful on it and uh, did, a, did a heck of a job of uh, Putting our airport in a whole different category in terms of opportunity, with both both on the on the passenger side, which has grown significantly. Although you know, for many of us, probably would like more passenger activity there, but on the cargo side, has been a, a flourishing opportunity that's provides significant amount of employment and tax benefit to the city overall, and continues to grow. 
So that's uh, largely based on the vision and energy and enthusiasm that Tony Battaglia put into Trayport, his his company, and, and our airport. And uh, I'm forever grateful for that. He's been a good friend. Um, uh, I, I've known Tony to be a great family man and a great mm-hmm. supporter of lots of causes in our community. And he'll be uh, sadly missed by, missed by many of us. Well said. Thanks so much, Mr. Mayor, for that. I just wanted to make sure we included that today. Uh, we'll be talking again soon as we get more COVID numbers as well. Thanks for the time today, Mr. Mayor. You bet, Bill. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Back to the discussion about the recession that's being caused by this pandemic and uh, the analysis of it as well, because, I mean, you know, as, as we look and, and try to plan for recovery, we have to understand exactly how this is impacting businesses and who's actually getting hit hardest on this. And uh, there's a, a fascinating study that's being done right now uh, that pretty much nails exactly where this is going on right now and talks about who actually is most adversely affected by this, which is going to be very helpful as we develop strategies. Joining us to talk about this is Peter Hall, who's the Vice President and Chief Economist with the Export Development Group, Export Development Canada. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Great to be with you on the program, Bill. Let me ask you about this, because invariably, winners and losers sounds like such a a trite thing to say uh, when we're talking about an economic recession of people's livelihoods and things of this nature. But what this analysis has done here, Peter, indicates that, uh, uh, well, there's a phrase we always used to use over the last four or five years called precarious employment. And now I understand why we're using that phrase, because those are the people that really got hit hardest. No kidding. Um, This is um, what we are calling a K-shaped forecast. You know, all the letters of the alphabet have been dredged out to describe what has actually been going on. So there are some sectors of the economy that have experienced a V-shape, a very quick down, a very quick up. There are others that are L-shaped. They've gone down. They haven't come up at all. Some are W-shaped, and that's what the economy is dealing with, with a second round of lockdowns at the moment. So where do we get this K from? Well, As the economy has come back, it's abundantly clear that there are some industries that are doing far better than others. Some are soaring way above the average right now, like food uh, distribution and grocery stores and uh, and convenience stores and and drug stores, uh, like sales of building supplies. Those are all doing really well. Um, Down in the bottom there, you know, you've got the travel industry, you've got energy, aerospace, air carriers, really down in the bottom there, and really not much prospect of rising at the moment. Well, anything that happens there on the industry side of things is going to immediately translate over into the job uh, sphere. And that's what this study is all about. Now, when you say they're doing well are they doing well relative to what everyone else is doing or, is it, or are they just actually doing doing well in other words actually improving their business not, notwithstanding what's happening uh from the pandemic standpoint bill when you look at food retailers because we went into panic mode about bare essentials actually being available and sort of toilet paper was the mm-hmm. example everybody was using at the time we stocked up on those things, and that was a boom for for those retailers, for, for all grocery stores and anything like them uh, at the time. Shelves were emptying out. Well, they restocked those shelves because there was nothing wrong with the supply chain, and those those volumes continued to go up. So they have actually benefited from this. 
um, there was a great need for financing at the time as well. And so financial institutions are again on the top of, of the heap there. And I already mentioned building supplies. Well, we were confined to our homes and started seeing all the things that we didn't like about them. And so we started pouring money into renovations. We started buying second properties and so forth to try and preserve our sanity. So these industries have actually done better than they would had COVID not happened. Now, the other ones uh, on the bottom, well, they're really suffering, and we can give you more details on those as well. Well, exactly. And, uh, I, you know, obviously in our communities, we've talked about things like the, the restaurant industry and things of that nature and entertainment. Uh, tourism, which is a big part of the Ontario economy, is, is virtually been wiped out in the last little while. Uh, I, I don't want you to crystal ball too much here, Peter, but, I mean, what are the chances of, of recovery? I mean, I'm hearing now that one in six small businesses may never reopen again. It really depends on their access to stimulus, and it also depends on whether or not they are ready to actually invest in the new way that business is done. So even inside of industries that are very stretched, the ones that have been creative about how they do business have kept themselves going. Mm -hmm. So one of the easiest examples really is in retailing. If you you know, we're really a bricks and mortar retailer and, you know, you didn't have interact services that you were offering or some means of paying by credit card. And remember, it was only a few years ago when Tim Hortons, the entire chain, converted over from cash at the register to uh, actually, um, you know, having electronic means of payment. It's almost hard to believe. But, you know, even an institution like that, you know, was sort of late to the game. Well, those ones who have not converted over, really, they're lost inside of this marketplace because people don't like transferring cash and doing things that way has really, really, uh, for all intents and purposes, ended. Those ones that came up with curbside delivery, uh, gust up their uh, online platforms and so forth, well, they were able to maintain themselves throughout all of this. Well, that is an example of how the resilience of industry has actually kept even stretched areas of the economy uh, quite afloat. So even within industries, you have those who are really gaining from this and those who are not. With that in mind, and I, I know we're kind of going down a different road here, but I mean, these numbers are going to, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, have a major part in developing strategies uh, for coming out of this. And you just mentioned about how retailers, innovative retailers, have had to pivot. And some of them, as you mentioned, Peter, have done quite well uh, and move, for instance, to online shopping. Uh, what's the future of bricks and mortar right now? Are, are some of these businesses just going to realize that, hey, maybe I don't need bricks and mortar. Maybe I can do this essentially or smaller space, uh, which could also mean fewer employees too i mean there there's there's a couple of different ways this could go this is where psychology comes into it bill yeah. you know lots of questions are being asked you know will bricks and mortar survive will we actually want to go back into our big office towers who is going to actually climb into a plane which for all intents and purposes is a virus tube that you've got to sit in for you know for mm -hmm. a long period of time are any of these traditional things going to come back? Well, I'm not sure that we've gotten to the point where we can operate uh, virtually like this into perpetuity. Um, I imagine that's sort of a Star Wars kind of thing where we can call up these holograms of, of different people. We can see and feel their body language through those digital images. We're not quite there yet. And the in-person really does matter. When we went across the country digitally last fall, the number two concern of businesses was, look, we can't do people to people. It's still very important to them. Post-SARS, 
it was amazing how all those prognostications of how we were going to do things differently really fell by the wayside. And psychologically, we got back to doing things the way they were done before. I don't doubt that some bricks and mortar is going to fall by the wayside. There's, there's no question about that. We have all become now quite comfortable with and and we see the appeal of door-to-door delivery. But we love interacting with each other, and that piece has been missing for quite some time. When people can do that safely again, mark my words, they'll be back to doing that. I, I think you're right, uh, and, and your point's well taken. I mean, we are social beings, and, and, you know, it's one thing to say, yeah, I like to go shopping, but, I mean, you know, you develop a relationship with people, which, you know, for the last year and a half we haven't been able to do much of. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of that. You're, the, 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 you know, the population in office towers is going to be problematic, but I guess we'll have to cross that bridge when they come to it. Some companies are going to be making decisions about this. Uh, what, you, you talked about the impact, especially the negative impact this has had on low-income earners. And uh, governments obviously tried to do what they can about this with the money for topping up and to try to keep people afloat and things of this nature. Uh, But if the first lockdown, Peter, is any indication, uh, it's going to take a while for those jobs to come back at all, for those that are going to come back. And and that's going to put a lot more pressure on government, isn't it? Well, it is. You know, um, that is really a sad reality of this. You know, there is a K-shaped forecast in more than just the industry-by-industry approach. Um, you know, we at EDC look at it on a country-by-country basis. There are certain countries that are really suffering. But when you get to the level of, of employment, well, income categories have very different experiences inside of this. Education levels have very different experiences inside of this. Um, you can even cut it by age. Imagine graduating from your program finally, you know, however, you've, however long you've gone on in your education you happen to graduate in February of 2020, you know, and here, welcome to the work world, you know, this is what it can serve up for you. And you have the nastiest, quickest global pervasive recession ever. Well, that's just a terrible time to be coming into the marketplace with no experience to offer anybody. Well, those are a really stretched cohort of the economy. My heart goes out to them because it's just a timing thing. It has nothing to do with their qualifications or the value that they can add to the marketplace. Now think of somebody who's worked all of their lives. They happen to be in an industry that's at the lower end of the K. You know, you know what, what are you supposed to do for somebody who dreamed all their life and worked all their life inside of the tourism industry and tourism gets shut down and some people are saying tourism is, is going to have another zero year this year. Everybody's trying to plan for it right now and what are we doing? We're going into lockdown again. And so... They're, you know, closing the shutters and saying, okay, well, we're going to have to endure another year of, of what we went through last year. And, and some of them will definitely fall by the wayside. Well, the employees that are inside of those sectors are typically the ones that are in and out. They're seasonal workers. They're paid less than others. And they just happen to be in the part of the economy that is affected uh, worst. And so, you know, we are all waiting for that to come back. Will people actually go on tours once we are through all of this? Yes, absolutely they will. This is a game of survival. Can you get to the other side of the chasm before you actually run out of resources? That's a question we're all going to have to answer, I guess, in the next little while. Great analysis on this, Peter. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. 
Great to be with you again, Bill. Thank you. Take care. Peter Hall, Vice President and Chief Economist with Export Development Canada. You can Google them, by the way, if you want to get uh, the full report about uh, what we were just talking about there. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Troubling news, of course, about the vaccine distribution. It's going to be delayed a little bit, and uh, a lot of people are upset about this. But as we've told you, and uh, the medical experts have told us, you know, the, the rollout was not supposed to really hit high gear until summertime. And they say by September, everybody who was uh, going to get vaccinated is probably going to get vaccinated. And they say they're still in line with that. But we also cannot just look at the vaccine and say, boy, as soon as I, you know, get that vaccine, everything's going to be fine. COVID's going to go away. It's not. As uh, many of the folks we've talked to in the program about this over the last year now have told us, there's a a lot more that we can and should be doing to do this. Well, there is a a new paper that's come out right now. It's co-authored, actually, by uh, Dr. Isaac Bogosh, who we've had on the program many times, and our next guest, and uh, basically talks about some of the other things that we need to be doing here. And, of course, one of them is uh, something that we've been talking about. Uh, The governments aren't doing a great job on right now, and that's rapid testing. The co-author of this is uh, Goldie Hyder. Goldie is the President and Chief Executive Officer of the uh, Business Council of Canada, joining us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Goldie, thanks so much for the time. Great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Bill. Let's talk a little bit about the tools that we are using. And I know that uh, your your co-author, uh, Dr. Bogosh, has talked about this with us many times on the program. Uh, you know, we talk about masking and we talk about social distancing, and I, I like to think most of us are being compliant with that. Uh, the stay-at-home stuff, you know, better than it could be, but, but anyway... The other one of this, of course, is testing, and and we have not done a very good job of that. A, a lot of times they're pointing fingers at government, but uh, there is a way to do this. Talk to us about, about what you guys have discovered here. Well, look, the testing issue is just one more tool in the toolkit, if you will, and um, you know, I think the, the key thing here now is that the ease of access to the testing, um, as much accuracy in the testing as possible, recognizing that no tests are really 100% uh, sure, even the vaccine won't be 100% sure. Uh, we've got to make sure that people recognize that testing is likely going to be a, a critical element uh, of our lives as we go forward for the next six, nine, 12 months, and maybe beyond, depending on all the strains and so forth. So how do we get testing available to Canadians? So there's been a, um, a pilot project that was launched, um, led by the Constructive Destruction Lab at the University of Toronto. And, um, you know, they brought in a, a number of, of organizations, um, including businesses to say, will you pilot these rapid tests? That's happening now. Uh, we, we know that the federal government has procured about 38 million tests, but you know what, Bill, we're going to need five times that because these tests are like, if I can just use the analogy of a pregnancy test, when you're, they're used, they're no good anymore. You got to have, you got to, you got to test again. And so we need to procure a lot more of them. And we've got to realize that the U.S. administration is, is, is in the game now on, on these things as COVID management goes. So we're going to have to make sure we act aggressively to get our own share. It's, it's going to, I'm not going to say solve the problems, Goldie, but it's going to, I think, uh, alleviate a lot of the stress that we're feeling about mm-hmm. this. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, for instance, the quarantine period and, you know, can kids go back to school and things of this nature? And we're, we're erring on the side of caution, which is understandable. I get that. You know, it's got to be 14 days. Don't go anywhere. Uh, but testing would solve a lot of this to say, okay, you know what? You've just been tested. Okay, we can move forward on that. But in the absence of that information, uh, we're really kind of in the dark here, aren't we? We are. And I think the, you know, the question I think many Canadians are asking themselves is, well, well, what's the alternative here? Like, is this, is this roller coaster ride we've been on since March, my life until I'm vaccinated? And even then it, it may still have some, 
uh, you know, residual effects in terms of continuing to wear masks and continuing to social distance and sanitize and all of that. And I'm empathetic. And I think many in, 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 in are empathetic that people want their lives back. And so what we've got to think about is what can we do to get them as much of their life back as possible, particularly uh, in the areas like kids in schools. The consequences of this are immeasurable, removing kids from schools for an extended period of time. Uh, the employment situation, uh, you know, p- particularly for women who have, have experienced a significant disproportionate um, impact uh, of this uh, of this virus, who want to be able to go back to work. Um, those who travel for business reasons or for other reasons or, I know, again, want to be able to, to, to do that. And look at the life and the impact that this has had on SMEs across the country here. And we've got to recognize that in addition to the health crisis uh, from the virus side, we also have a very serious mental health crisis developing in the country. I hear about it from our member CEOs uh, to whom it's a grave, uh, grave concern. And, and there's this economic follow. And if there's a tool in the toolkit that we can use to give people some hope and give them a chance to safely re-engage in society, we should be doing everything we can to make that possible. How intense can we get with this? I mean, how extensive can we make this? Uh, you know, if I if I walk into a grocery store today, as I did yesterday, to pick up some bread, uh, you know, they, there's a, a staff member there, and they ask you the five questions. Well, I can say anything I want. They don't know whether or not I've been out of the country. They don't mm-hmm. know whether or not I've had any contact. I'm, they, they're counting on the fact that, that I'm going to give honest answers. But wouldn't it be a lot more efficient if we just said, okay, you know, you don't get in here unless you do a, a, a test, a rapid test? Well, it's or all based show the on results the availability of, of the test. Yeah, right? exactly. All based, yeah, and so to me, it's more like get ready. If you want to go back to you know a, a hockey game one day, you you may well have to be tested and or you know have the the proof that you've taken the vaccine. Um, so so any kind of social activities with large crowds may may trigger that. Think about our subways and buses and all of this. How we you know you're not going to be able to go on and say I need to allocate you know 30 minutes or 15 minutes to get a test done before I catch the subway. So there are practical elements to this, but I think it's it's really about building one more element in the toolkit to bring about confidence, to to help address some of the challenges that I, that I've just outlined that people are facing, and to give them some hope. Bill, I think we're all. You know, um, in that period now, as we traditionally are in Canada with a cold winter and all of that, and people are saying, give me some hope. And rapid testing would, would give them some significant hope. You look around the world, Slovakia, for example, ran, or uses rapid testing. Their infection rates are down 60%. You know, and we've got to use data here as well. I'm not suggesting that rapid testing needs to be done for everybody out there, but let's use it in the places where it makes the most sense. Take, for example, long-term care centers where if people are coming in and out of it, don't let them in there and don't let them out of there without making sure that that um, that they're not that they've they've not been infected in any way. So let's be smart about it. But we've got to be more aggressive in our procurement and securing um, these these kinds of tests so that we can scale them so that they're an actual part of the solution for how to get out of the situation that we're in. Uh, To that point, though, Goldie, how do you get the public to buy into this, to to get them to understand and, and and to actually be compliant with this, to say, yeah, this is something that we all need to be doing? Well, look, um, if, if the social media feeds on this column are any indication, the public is, is there and the yeah. public is screaming for um, anything that will allow them to to uh, you know reengage with society safe, safely. So I don't think there's any doubt about that. I, there are, and I'll, I'll be candid, there are people in the, in the health community and the science community who say, well, you know, the reliability may be only 75% or 80% and so forth. We can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good here. Right. Um, it, the alternative is exactly what 
nothing. You just keep doing what you're doing, watch the waves go up and watch the waves go down. But what about the calamity that those who are worried about their businesses and their families and their mental health? And we just passed Blue Monday on, on, on this Monday here in terms of the highest uh, recorded you know, suicide rates that occur. These are other issues that we have to take into account. And if rapid testing is one means of allowing people to feel that they can get re-engaged in society, that's critical. The other thing, and again, in full, full disclosure and candor here, the other half of this is very much to do with sick pay. So there is a fear factor here that people say, well, if I get tested, I can't afford to be at home for 14 days. And this is an issue for society, it's an issue for our governments, and it's an, and it's an issue for businesses, right? Particularly small businesses who can't necessarily afford the sick pay. So government has to have a role in that. I think the larger businesses are in a much in much different situation and, and have sick pay policies and so forth. So we, we need to have this conversation, Bill, and that's why I was really delighted um, at your invite. Well, and, and your point's well taken, and I know there's being a lot of pressure being exerted right now on governments to under, uh, understand and, and, to, and to deal with this idea about sick pay, uh, because we do know, uh, and more than anecdotally, I guess, Goldie, a lot of people that are displaying symptoms still go to work because they figure if i don't go to work i don't get money i i, I you know i've got to pay the rent i've got to feed my family i've got to uh and that's that's making a, a, the situation even worse uh if they knew that they, okay I, i'm going to go forward with the test and feel confident that it, okay if i have to stay home i'm going to be looked after uh that's that's going to get people on side uh, and and i think you know government does have a role to play there well, this is why in all our efforts um, from the time of this pandemic uh, starting, we've been emphasizing to the federal government and, and, and to the provincial governments, investments that are being made, particularly on the backs of more deficit and debt in a pandemic should be spent on the pandemic. So before we start reimagining Canada or looking for 20 other things to be doing, we really need to reassure Canadians that our health system, because we need to do an audit of this. Um, you know, what the heck happened with the long-term care centers? Why didn't we learn the lessons from SARS and how we're going to manage the next pandemic? You know, why do we have the number of ICU beds that we do, given all the taxes that are being paid? Why haven't we built a more robust healthcare system with some elasticity to it to be able to absorb, you know, the peaks and valleys that, that health crises can bring? These are legitimate questions for Canadians to be asking of their governments. And governments need to be at this time, I think, focused on the pandemic and the response to the pandemic, vaccine procurement, rapid test procurement, and, and subsidies for those businesses and individuals, for the reasons you cited, that just can't get to the other side. Uh, we need to help them make sure that they're going to be okay from a mental health perspective, but also an economic perspective. Because you spent $400 billion, you got to ask yourself, like, where did it all go? And why isn't it helping the people it's supposed to be helping? Yeah, exactly. And, and your point's well taken. I know we're just about out of time here, but uh, the, the, the general public, Goldie, more often than not, is, is usually ahead of the elected officials when it comes to compliance with these things. You know, whether it was any controversial, and I use that term advisory, controversial issue, uh, by and large, we're okay with that. In other words, just, you know, give us the tools to do this. Uh, because remember, there were some stories going on last summer that when the vaccine seemed to be imminent, uh, a lot of people didn't want to take it. I'll, 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 you, you go get it first, Goldie, and I'll see how it affects you. Yeah. Now, what's 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 the, the compliance rates? I, I think in Hamilton, anyway, is about ninety percent of the ones that uh, they've offered it to already. And on a general basis, right across the country, it's like eighty or eighty-five percent of people saying, "What? Where can I roll up my sleeve?" So we're there already. Yeah. We're just looking. We're just looking for the tools. 
Yes, it's all about the execution, but I heard your opening and you, you're right. It, look, the vaccine situation, I actually have confidence in. I think that we are going to be able to get to where we need to get to. And I know we're off to a, uh, you know, a rocky start and a slow start because you know what? It is early days and stuff does happen uh, when you're trying to get 7 billion people vaccinated around the yeah. world. But overall, as long as we get that manufacturing you know, done the, and, and access to the, to the vaccines, the federal government's done a terrific job in, in building a suite, a portfolio of vaccines that are going to be able to be available to us. Everybody wants it yesterday or the people who want it now wanted it yesterday. Yeah. And, and But everybody needs to know we're going to get there. We're, we'll, we'll get through the vaccine situation because and trust Canadians to do the right thing on that. Very instructive piece, uh, Goldie. Uh, thank you to you and uh, to Dr. Bogash for this. And thanks so much for the time today. It was great talking with you. Thanks for having me, Bill. All the best to your listeners and you. You betcha. We'll stay in touch. Goldie Hyder, of course, President and uh, Chief Executive Officer of the uh, Business Council of Canada. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.